their throats and their chests that you're here to heal too. So we're going to take your healing touch in our bodies this morning to continue the work you have for us. Bless us as we worship you, as we praise together, and we're going to give you all the glory because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Let's worship him. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way.
to have the leaders come to the front and lead us in prayer time. You are welcome to come and be prayed for, be prayed with. I was just thinking today as I was listening to this next song to kind of get it in my spirit. And I just thought about kind of what I was just singing. I just see all these commercials all the time for yet another Avengers hero. There's a movie about the Iron Man. Now there's a movie about this person I've never heard of. They got these superpowers and they are our heroes. And the world needs a hero right now. But if you think back to when we all saw the passion of the Christ and we saw him whipped time after time as I watched my wife scream and tremble and we, we could not get ourselves to go see that movie again because it was just so crushing to see that happen to my king. But that's the real superhero. The things that he endured willingly just to give us everlasting life if we would just believe that he is the one and only. He is the true hero. He is the only one that can deliver. He is the only one that can keep good on his promises. In a day like today, where promises are rarely kept and truth is confusing, what is truth? Well, Jesus is truth. Jesus is my hero. Lord, I will look to you where my help comes from. I think about the time that you were being whipped for our transgressions. And you might remember in the movie, Satan was walking around the boundary. And I think he was smart enough to know that, hey, wait a minute. He's, Jesus is saying that he's the sheep going to slaughter as a sacrifice for them. And Satan thought, I don't like it. But he had to keep his distance. He couldn't come any closer because it was so powerful. There was nothing he could do about it. And the fact that Jesus will come for you and will deliver you, there's nothing hell can do about it. If God says it is going to happen, that settles it, that finishes it, it is done deal. He just needs you to agree with it and have your entire being come to an agreement with that. So Lord, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you that you are our hero, our deliverer, that you went for us. You went for us so we didn't have to go that way.
time. Could you do that? Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, we thank you for your goodness, Father. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Bless your name. You know, we, we are surrounded in our lives by total badness all the time. 24 hour a day badness in every area just about in this fallen world. So it's hard for us to conceive that he is good all the time. So it takes that step of faith to step out and say, Jesus, I'm going to believe in spite of what I'm feeling, in spite of what I'm hearing, in spite of what's going on, I'm going to believe that you are still a good, good God. You're a good, good father all the time in every part of our lives. Oh, hallelujah for his goodness, his goodness. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you. We thank you that your goodness never changes. There is neither changing nor variableness in you. There's no shadow of turning in you. Every good and perfect gift continues to come down from you. And we're so grateful for that. We ask for that goodness 
for healing in our bodies, for those that are struggling. Lord, we think of uh, Kathy Arnall that's struggling right now physically, uh, just trying to figure out what's happening in her body. Heal her, Father, in the name of Jesus. We ask for uh, Rob that uh, occasionally comes on a Wednesday night. Her mother is not doing well in the hospital either. So we thank you, Father, that your goodness extends to us body, soul, and spirit every part of our lives, and we can rely on that touch. We receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Give him one more praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise his name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Ushers, you may come if you will. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Frank, if you'll ask the blessing on the offering, if you would, please. Father, we're blessed beyond measure. Yes, we are. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you as you give. And, uh... <clears throat> No special, special announcements that I know of other than your bulletin. We're going to, um, this uh, Easter, um, it was two Easter's ago we didn't have Easter, right? Was it two Easter's ago? <laughs> two Easter's ago, I think. Yeah. But um, so, uh, and we wanted to do something a little different this Easter, so we are so- participating sort of in Lent type of services. So, starting the last Sunday of this month, we are going to have a table here, uh, and we're going to be having communion on Easter Sunday instead of uh, our first Sunday. And we're going to have a table, and we're going to do some uh, participating in some. Easter Lent kind of things, along with the rest of the body of Christ, uh, adapting it to us a little bit. But uh, other than that, I think get ready for Easter morning, uh, 9.30. We will be having our, uh, it's not a breakfast, but sort of just a nauseous. Isn't that what they call them? Nauseans. Just a little uh, hors d'oeuvres or something. And I think last year we had some fellowship and Pastor Ron shared a bit at the end. And uh, so we'll be doing that again and jumping into Easter. Hallelujah. Amen. Kids, teens, you may be dismissed for your time, and for the rest of us, open your Bibles to Romans 13, Romans 13, and I'm going to finish, I think today, I think I'm going to try to finish this, Uh, this topic of when is it proper to obey or disobey the government, it was one of those things that as I started to get into it, uh, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know if I bit off more than I can chew, because this is more of like a longer series of sermons, I would think. So in some ways, I'm sort of feeling like Putin. I don't know if I bit off more than I could chew. <laughs> but I'm, So I'm trying to finish this concept here before we get to Easter. And I, we may get to First uh, Peter, the second chapter as well, or I may save that for next week to, to totally finish up. But we'll be in Romans 13th chapter uh, today. And let's just uh, recap uh, these first few verses. We'll just read them together, a verses 1 through 7 of Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment to themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And that's very important. Verses 3 and, ver- verses three and 4 are very important. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. In other words, don't steal, kill, murder, destroy, things like that. And if you don't do those things, pretty much every government authority is going to, is going to uh, leave you alone. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on uh, him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. Remember, we talked about conscience last week, and this is one of the passages where Paul uses it. For because of you, you also. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Now, where have we heard this? He is almost 
quoting verbatim Jesus, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God what's God's. He quotes almost verbatim, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We talked last week a little bit about uh, that concept of, of good leadership. We're going to talk about it again today, but I think we would all agree that we were not to honor certain leaders in our history. We were not to honor Adolf Hitler. We were not to honor evil leaders that were destroying lives. We don't render honor to them. We submit them to judgment, just like we would be as well. So we're going to dive into this passage here today, and this is going to be a little more teachy, I guess you'd say, uh, in these this week as it was last week, probably a little more teachy and less preachy. So we want to recap very quickly, just to bring us all up to speed. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are sojourners on the earth. That's sort of like we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. But we're sojourners on earth. Oh, boy. As I told my mother the other day when the first blizzard came and I woke up and there was a, a, like a lot of snow outside and it was cold, I said, how could something... Because it was just beautiful. The trees were all plastered with white and everything. And I said, how could something be so beautiful and so depressing at the same time? And, and that's, sort of, that's sort of like what I just said. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, but boy, don't forget, we're sojourners on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians the third chapter, verse 20. But we dwell in every nation, tribe, culture, and people. And remember, we're not just talking about America when we talk about authority. We're talking about all authority that God has placed on the earth and all authority that is here. So our, our family around the world faces all different types of authority. There are some that are under extreme persecution right now. There are some that are dealing with really bizarre and odd things, uh, more so than, than we are. And so it's that, that dual citizenship which causes us difficulty at so many levels. You know, we're always battling the flesh. We're always battling the mind. We're always battling our emotions. And that's, that's what causes problem. But my highest allegiance must always be to the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that later. Always to the kingdom of God. God owns me. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Body, soul, and spirit. Lock, stock, and barrel. He owns every part of my life. Caesar owns my taxes and my obedience to order. But God owns me totally. So when he's governing for good, I owe him. But I owe God everything. He controls everything. Then we talked about our conscience and how our conscience is going to dictate. We're going to sort of touch on this again today. How I operate in this visible realm. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, guided by the word, and in close contact with my brothers and sisters, I determine how much I submit to authority and how much I resist authority. Uh, that's, it's a, it's a, that's why I said there, the answers to many of these questions are in you, just like your walk with the Lord is in you. We remember that Paul and Peter wrote these passages. And when they wrote these passages, we got to remember, there were no democratic republics. There were no voting rights. There was no OSHA. There was no Social Security. There were no benefits as a citizen. There was very little recourse for anyone when he wrote these things. There was no constitution. There was no bill of rights. There was nothing. And we're going to probably touch on that a little bit more next week. So we saw that uh, the source of authority, and we're going to see today the order of authority, and then probably the, the choice of authority uh, a little bit later. So we want to talk about the order of authority, and Paul gives it uh, interesting, interestingly here in these first several verses. But the very first thing we have to do is we have to look at verse 1, and we have to get the definition of that word subject, because it's a very interesting word, subject. Uh, you'll remember this from uh, when we talked about Ephesians, when we were in the book of Ephesians, we talked about wives. Remember that one passage that I kept putting off week after week after week because I didn't want to talk about wives being subject to husbands. <laughs> but we eventually got to it. And uh, so we have to get the definition of this word. It's upotasso in the Greek. It literally means to arrange or assume responsibility. Subject means to arrange or to assume responsibility. It, it's, it's an order. It's an arrangement. Um, it is, uh, when we think of authority properly, we are not looking at it like a fixed dictatorial thing where, hey, I got a title and now that's all there is. I'm the authority. I remember when I used to travel overseas a lot 
uh, <clears throat> I used to love getting into countries like, especially America, um, but even countries like uh, uh, Germany, uh, European countries, and things like that, because when I would go to a third world country, literally the soldiers there, this sounds disrespectful, I don't mean it to be this way, but it looks like they came home one day and told, and told their family, hey, look, Ma, look what they gave me, a gun and a uniform. It just didn't, you know. When I would get to our Western cultures, the soldiers look so sharp and snappy. They look like they knew what they were doing. It was just a total difference. And so uh, authority doesn't mean just because you have a title, just because somebody gives you a gun that, hey, now I'm the authority. You've got to do everything I tell you. That's not what authority is. So we need to understand that there is an arrangement of authority in the world. And it's an arrangement that goes through our entire society in order to keep order. That's what it's about. So, for instance, we have dog catchers that catch dogs, right? Uh, they have the authority to run through my yard and chase a rabid dog. They don't have to stop at my property line and say, hey, by the way, there's a dog. Can I go to you? No, they just run through because we have given them the authority to do that. They have the authority to come in my house and take my dog if it's rabid or it's bit someone or something like that. They can do that because it's hurting other people. They have the authority. Policemen, firemen, school systems, traffic laws, all of those things are all levels of authority for the good of everyone. We're going to see how that works out a little bit later. But that does not mean that I have no rights at all in relation to authorities. Correct? It simply means I have chosen to arrange myself under those authorities. I go to the voting booth and I vote. I say, okay, well, my guy lost. Well, but still, everybody else voted for that guy or that girl. So they're now the authority. So we choose to arrange ourselves under those authority. And they assume responsibilities and authority positions over us, but we also have responsibilities as well. So it's a mutual thing. So for instance, let's look at the dog catcher. He's out looking for a rabid dog. So he comes to my door. He knocks on it and he says, do you have a dog in this house? And I say, no, we have a cat. Boy, do we have a cat. No, we have a cat. And he says, oh, okay, well, then he busts down my door, he grabs the cat, he beats my wife up, and he leaves. Well, he has just exceeded his authority. He can't do that. He is not permitted to do that. So I then can respond by taking legal action. I could tackle him to the ground if I want because he has exceeded authority. So authority doesn't mean that the, the authority can do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want, and however they want. Submission to authority is submission to order for the good of the community. And that's what it is all about. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So last week, we saw Paul working outside of the existing corrupt order. Um, and the reason he did it, as we saw... He slithered through, he evaded the Sanhedrin so he could get to the next level of authority. And that's how we can work with authority, as that is an example. Here's another example in scripture of going outside of authority. Remember the story of Jesus at 12 in the temple for three days. Wow, wait a minute now. And his parents, of course, were frantic. And finally they found him and... <laughs> Can you imagine? Actually, it's interesting. This is the very first words of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture when he was 12. And then you don't hear about him again until the baptism, until later. So there's this whole gap. But it gives us a good picture of where he's at right now. So they said, where have you been? We've been looking for you. And he said, don't you understand? Why are you looking for me? I'm about my father's business. Could you imagine if your 12-year-old said that to you? Now, my assumption is that one of the Ten Commandments was still in effect. Honor your father and your mother. But Jesus was operating, even at 12, he was operating at a higher level of authority. So he was disobeying the lower level of authority, one of God's commandments, in order to obey the higher level of authority. Very interesting thing. So, I often think of that too. He's standing there and he says, 
don't you know? 12 years old, don't you know? Don't you know? Because <laughs> his voice probably hadn't changed yet. <laughs> I'm about my father's business. And I'm thinking, poor Joseph. He's there, what am I, chopped liver? I'm your father. Wow. But circumvented authority to get to the higher authority. So how do we know then when to disobey one authority and yield to a greater authority, and in this particular case, governmental authority? Well, I think that our passage gives us some clues to this, and I I like the way Paul puts all of these things. We talked about conscience. That is very, very important. Um, But I believe that in in what what Paul is saying in Romans 13 and probably in uh, in 1 Peter as well, I believe that he's giving us the key in verses 3 and 4. Very, very important. In verses 3 and 4, he talks about doing good. He says, these authorities, in verse 3, are not for terror, but for good works. That's why why authority is in the earth, to do good works. So, uh, best way to do this is, I'm just going to give you my quick take on this, and hopefully provide a balance for you, and then you can uh, apply it in your life. I believe that Paul in this passage, is not talking about specific people, per se, or governments, but I believe he's talking about the concept of order and authority. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the concept of order. He's not specifically talking about Caligula or Nero or Domitian. Uh, he's, not, he's talking about proper authority, that what God wants when he places that person in authority is to have good authority that will benefit the most amount of people in that society. I do not believe, and this is where I'm going to get a little controversial on you here. You ready? Like I always say, the worst thing you could do is fire me. Usually you used to laugh at that. You didn't laugh this time. Oh, boy. I do not believe that Paul is saying that God put Adolf Hitler in authority. I don't believe that. Because Adolf Hitler was not in authority for the good of humanity, as far as I know. If he did put Adolf Hitler in authority, then we were wrong for going to World War II and deposing him. Because we should have all said, well, wait a minute, that's God's man. Yeah, but he's killing 10 million million people in gas chambers. That's God's man. Right? Don't look at me like I'm crazy. If he put him in authority, he's in authority, and he needs to stay there. So that's why I don't believe that Paul is talking about individual things. He's talking about order and the way that God places order in the world. Attila the Hun was not placed in authority to kill thousands of people on the plains of Asia. I don't believe that. I do believe, however, that somehow God works through the corrupt leaders to affect history. I don't know how he does it. It's one of those crazy all things work together for good things. I don't know how that works. But I cannot believe that God takes evil and purposely places it in society. God puts people in, and here's here's the rub, and here's where I may lose some of you. God puts people in places of authority for good and not for evil. When they become evil, they are no longer God's authority. Now, you may say, well, uh, I don't know about that. Well, uh, well, you say, well, then what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? I, I I don't know about that. Well... We are to rebel and fight against it. Now, I'm going to balance this in a few moments, so don't worry. I'm not telling you all take torches and run out of here and pitchforks. I don't even know if we have pitchforks anymore. But uh, if, if the former was true, then that means a police officer could come and just beat the tar out of you whenever he wanted to and leave you on the road for dead and you would have no recourse. We know that that's not proper authority. We, we, we know that, that if, if that were true, then that means that all of the zoning officers could go to every new business in town and take bribes in order for protection money and hire the mafia to do it. Is that good? No, we fight against that kind of thing. That's evil. So when God places someone in authority, he places them for good. You say, well, then are we to rebel? Are we to, to buck that leadership? Are we to do something? Yes, absolutely, but, 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 but. I said seven buts. That's God's perfect number. But remember to whom you belong. You are a follower of Jesus, not Genghis Khan. <laughs> Jesus is your king. 
Jesus is your leader, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of evil strongholds. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling. They they weren't wrestling against Caligula or Domitian or Nero. The early church, they weren't wrestling against those people. They were wrestling against wickedness in heavenly places. And when we wrestle, we don't wrestle against the flesh. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. And it's our job as the church to pull down that wickedness and see God destroy it. So as you counter evil authority, you need to figure out how you're going to do it. Perhaps in a situation, you need to be as wise as a serpent, like Paul was. You need to slither in, (laughs) say the right words, and then slither out. Perhaps a soft answer will turn away wrath. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes, maybe we just need to shut our mouths and just pray. That was a weak amen. Only Pastor Ron got that one. Sometimes, sometimes instead of protesting, maybe we need to converse politely, right? And we're going to get back to this in a minute at the end of the message, but soft answers. Maybe, maybe in our system, a good lawyer will help. Or even better, maybe a corrupt one. <laughs> I've often said, if I get in trouble, I don't want a Christian lawyer. I want the dirtiest mafia lawyer I could find. I, I want somebody who's going to be real down and dirty for me. I'll pay him whatever he wants. <laughs> you say, well, that sounds terrible. It's our system, right? It's our system. So we have to figure out how we resist and why we resist. And then we have to do it in a way that would glorify Christ. And sometimes, I suppose, now maybe I'm speaking out of school here, but I believe that sometimes it may require an act of force, legitimate force, not just going down and grabbing your gun, but a legitimate force to repel evil that's destroying lives, i.e. a policeman's firearm. It takes force sometimes. Some people don't listen to reason and kind speech. So it takes force. Uh, so I'll give you an example here, and, and this, is, this is really, um, and, and probably, again, you don't hear me preach like this or talk like this, so it's, it's good that we had a little blizzard this morning because it's just the family here. That's good. So, so we can, we can. Uh, I'll give you an example in, in our life of, from this past uh, uh, pandemic and everything that happened and uh, the, the concept of, of masks in church. Now, you remember, when, we, when this whole thing started, we were very clear from the beginning, do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel comfortable. Stay home. We are on Facebook. Stay home. If, you're, if you come and you are uncomfortable, you can go to the cafe. You can come in late. You can go to the cafe. The sound system's on. The coffee's on. You could listen to the sermon in the cafe all by yourself or, or separated, however you want to do it. But we are not going to tell you to wear a mask, and we're not going to tell you to not wear a mask. You say, now, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And certainly, if a government said, everybody has to wear a mask, well, then we'd be in trouble because you'd have to bail me out of jail. And you say, well, why, why, do you, why would you do that? It's very simple. Never in history, the true church, never in the history of the true church have we required that a person dress a certain way, walk a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, in order to come to this altar. If I, if I said, if I said, um, no, 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 I'm sorry, if, if you want to come into this church, you have to wear a tie. That would mean that I am placing fabric in between that person's life and the altar. And you can't do that. If you want to wear a tie, wear a tie. I wear a tie sometimes. Or dress whatever, just, you know, Whatever. There's nothing, there is nothing that we have ever stopped anyone. I can't think of anything, I can't think of anything that a person would do that we would not let them into church. The only thing I could think of is if you came naked. We might stop you at the door. But you know what? Most likely we would stop you at the door and the deacons and elders would take you into another room and put clothes on you and probably you'd be allowed to stay because we'd probably want to cast demons out of you. 
You can come to church drunk. You can come to church high as a kite. You can come to church under indictment as a pedophile. We'll keep our eye on you, but you can come. You can come to church as a homosexual. You can come as a prostitute. You can come however you want to come. Everybody's allowed to come to this place, to this altar. You, you can even come as a drunk bookie with a gun in your pocket, right, Pastor Grandi? And look how he turned out. <laughs> so for me to say you have to wear a particular thing in my heart and my mind as pastor would place a piece of fabric. It would place a requirement between that person and this altar. You could do it at Panera's. You could do it at your workplace. That's fine. But I can't take that thought of me placing something in front of a person and saying, you have to have this in order to worship God. Can't do it can't do it. So there's my resistance. There's my resistance. And when, I, and when we talk with the elders and everybody in the church, the deacons, they all said the same thing. No, we can't do that. Come as you are. Wear what you want to wear. Do what you want. But we can't do that. So we resist certain authority. So, at, so in your life and in my life, we then have to start defining what is good and what is evil. Okay, so now we have to watch that leader. We have to watch what's happening around us. Is it evil leadership or is it good leadership is that authority do i need to resist that or do i need what do i need to do so you can go down through your life do an inventory well let, let's start with a big one abortion abortion me personally by the way i'll get real personal uh and this is on facebook but uh just so you know and i may offend some of you i left both political parties years ago i'm a registered independent i don't vote in primaries because to me they're all crooks I'm sorry. Someone needs to explain to me why a person can go into Congress as a normal person that was a plumber, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, and four years later, they're millionaires. Can someone explain that to me? I'll tell you who can explain. You're going to get the whole, both barrels this morning. How about it? You can listen to Tulsi Gabbard. She'll tell you how it happens. She's a Democrat, right? First day in Congress, she said, the bargaining begins. You walk in and sit down in your new office, and a sudden stream of people start coming into your office, other Congress, if you want to be on this committee, it'll cost you this much. But don't worry, we'll get you this much. First day. (laughs) I mean, I hate to offend any of you, but... That's the way it is, Republicans and Democrats. So I have no dog in this fight in reality. I, I just go in, I close my eyes and pull the lever. I just, Lord, have mercy. So, but me personally, personally, just me, and maybe I shouldn't say this from the pulpit, I cannot vote for a member of a party that approves of abortion. That's just me, okay? That might not be you. You may say, eh, abortion is not that big of an issue. I think global warming is bigger. Fine. That's what you think? Fine. That's good. You go for it. I love you. You love me. We're all going to heaven. We're going to get to that in a minute, by the way. <clears throat> uh, putting people in gas chambers, that's probably bad. You know, Nazis, I think that's probably bad. I think we would all agree on that one. Um, uh, invading another country, eh, that's bad, but guess what? We've done it too a lot. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Bad energy policies that make our gas prices go up. Hey, <laughs> been there, done that, do it again. I don't think it's anything to fight for. I don't think it's anything to divide anybody over. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's the way it is. Uh, calling a Native American a non-human. Mm. Mm. that's pretty bad. Yeah, we've, we've been there in the past, right? That's pretty bad. Uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, believed they were non-humans, by the way. The great emancipator. Pretty awesome. As a matter of fact, Abraham Lincoln oversaw the greatest, uh, the greatest uh, mass execution in American history. 38 Native Americans. Go ahead, you can look it up. Was that good leadership or bad leadership? I don't know. You have to figure that out. But if I was alive at that time, I'd probably be mad at him. I'd probably write him a letter. (laughs) That's probably all I could do. So you have to decide. 
What, what, what is, you define what is good and evil authority, and then you have to take the appropriate action as a believer in Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we have, number one, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we have our conscience guided by the word. And then number three, as I said last week, it is so important that we have each other in the body of Christ, isn't it? It's so important. I, I was talking to my mother <clears throat> a while back. I think I might have even said this. I said, do you remember, do you remember the, uh, the gas lines in the 70s and everything when we had our last uh, debacle with this kind of thing? And she said, you know, <laughs> I, I love it. Because I think, does anyone remember this? That It might not have been in Ohio that much, but uh, if your license plate began with a certain number, you could only go on a certain day, right? Okay. And, and I told her that, and she said, you know... I guess, but we were so busy for the Lord that we didn't even pay attention. Boy, isn't that a key? And when we say busy for the Lord, do you know what that means, what they were doing? You know what they were doing? Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, or Friday night, three or four nights a week, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Steubenville, in one of those big imperial Chrysler bromes, that weighed 5,000 pounds, got eight miles to the gallon. And she said, I, I don't know. I, we were just so busy for the Lord. I don't even, I think I remember or something like that. Folks, to me, that's one of the keys to this whole thing. Just get busy for Jesus. And you probably won't even notice what's happening around you. <laughs> you won't even notice how Babylon is falling. <laughs> it, 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 it's all around you. So now, here, and so here's, here's the conclusion of this matter. And, and as I say, I may talk about something next week, but it may be more in a generic sense about authority that we have in Jesus. But uh, it, was, it was James that tells us, and here's, here, here's the problem that we have here. And this is what I see sort of creeping into the church, and please don't let it do this. But the problem is that, uh, that uh, politics has now become the new religion in America. Remember when you used to say you can't talk about politics or religion? Well, now it doesn't matter because they're the same thing. If, if you say the wrong thing on one side, you could get beat up. If you say the wrong thing on the other side, you could get beat up. Politics has now become religion. It's become this fervor, uh, this, this angry, seething further. And people, it seems like, are protecting certain parties and certain concepts and certain laws. They're protecting it with their life now. And it's become a religion. For us, we see very quick, very clearly in Scripture from the book of James, we only have one religion, folks. James tells us pure and undefiled religion is this, that you visit widows and orphans in their affliction and you keep unspotted from the world. That's our religion. Everything else. Keep your eye on the word of God. Keep your eye on the task ahead. Keep getting busy for Jesus. Get busier and busier and busier for Jesus. Keep giving out more food to people because the more food you give out, the more money God's going to give you to give out more food. Keep blessing people with gas cards because the more you give them gas cards, the more he's going to give you money to buy your own gas cards. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep your eyes off the fall of Babylon and keep your eyes on the rise of the kingdom of God that's never going to pass away. I truly believe that Babylon is falling. It's sort of obvious. <laughs> but even if it doesn't fall, it's still going to fall someday because that's what's going to happen. And we're part of a kingdom that will never fall. And, and I've, I've told you this before, and I'll tell you again. I believe that whatever is happening in these last days, whatever we see occurring all around us, I still believe that the anointing and the blessing of the children of Israel in Egypt is coming on us. And I believe that their cattle are going to wither and die and our cattle are going to get fatter and fatter and fatter. I believe that their offspring are going to die and ours are going to get stronger. I believe that the hail is going to fall on them and it's not going to fall on us. I believe that God's going to provide in the midst of the wilderness and give us everything that we need. The spoils that are theirs are going to become ours. Everything that is there that is falling is going to become ours. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know the manner or the method, but I know one thing. My source is in Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. So, you say, well, what are we to do then with everything? 
you want to, you want to, you feel that the answer is to get this particular administration out and get another one in, that's fine. Do what you feel you need to do. You feel that this is the greatest administration on earth, that's fine. Keep them in. I don't really care because I'm part of an administration that's never going to pass away. How about this? We got about three or four more minutes. And so I, I, so I'm, I'm already way, way down. So I might as well just sink myself, right? I heard, I heard, I guess it's pretty well rumored that there are the two candidates that we're going to have in 2024 are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now, I don't care what you think about Donald Trump. I don't care what you think about Hillary Clinton. But here's the point to me. Wait a minute. Out of this entire country, only two? Those are the two. Out of, I think there's like 130 million eligible people between the ages of 35 and 75. You mean out of 130 million people, we can only, 129,999,998 won't do. <laughs> but you see, that's what you get when you're governed by parties, right? Wow. I was talking with my youngest son. And we were talking, we were talking, and, and by the way, I love talking politics. If you, want to, if you want to go out and get a cup of coffee and talk politics, I'll just choose your, chew your ear off. We'll, we'll chat forever. That's, that's fine. But we were, we were chatting, and, and he was talking about something in, in government, and I think it was a local thing in the Cleveland area. And he says, these people are unbelievable. They send out these texts, and they misspell words. They can't put sentences together. He has a master's degree in English. He says, they can't do anything. Don't they have writers? What in the world's going on? And uh, I said, yeah, isn't it amazing when you look back at our founding fathers, you had Thomas Jefferson who could write in one hand with Latin and the other hand in Greek at the same time. You had, you had John Adams who basically created the entire jurisprudence system of America all by himself. You had these brilliant men, Benjamin Franklin and others, John Hancock. You had these brilliant men, my Lord, and look what we have now. <laughs> you say, well, hey, if you think you could do any better, why don't you run for office? To be honest with you, it would be a step down from what I'm doing right now. I know my calling. I know my calling. It would be a step down. But I think some of you might be able to run. I think, I think, there, are a lot, I think there are a lot of plumbers and electricians and, and carpenters could do a lot better job than <laughs> Okay, so now I have totally sunk myself. I'm gone, right? It's over. It's <laughs> The bottom line is this. I do not believe that what Paul is saying in Romans 13 and what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 2 is that we need to march in lockstep behind any authority because God has placed that person there, and no matter what they do, they are right because God is there. That is not true. Not true at all. However... We, as part of a different kingdom, operate at a different level, do we not? We don't burn things down. We don't riot in the streets. We don't do those things. We pray, we seek God, and we operate according to order and authority that he has placed on the earth. And I believe that when God's people do that, good things happen. Good things happen. And believe me, I guarantee you, no matter what's going on in the world, we're going to make it through. And when we're all done, we're going to be talking like my mother. We're going to be saying, oh, yeah, I guess I remember that. I don't know. Everything was fine. I gave five pounds that time. (laughs) I made it. How many know we're all going to make it? We're all going to make it all the way. All the way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the words of Paul and the words of Peter how they, they lead us and they guide us. He, he was in a much more difficult situation than we are. And he tried. He tried his best to use the authority of Rome to be set free. But it ended up that he was put to death. He tried. But we see, Father, that any time we mention the gospel, we know, as we mentioned last week, we know immediately it's going to bring offense. It's going to challenge people. So we're ready for that challenge. We're ready for that offense. And we're going to keep speaking the truth in love. And you're going to keep guiding us and giving us wisdom. We're going to stand in places and say things that are going to astound even our own mouths. But it's going to be astounding because you're the one that placed the words there. And you're going to lead us and guide us into all truth. 
because you are truth. And as it's been said, you can do nothing against the truth. The truth is the truth. And all we need to do is express it. So give us your boldness, give us your courage, but also give us your dove spirit that we in love can confront and in love can open eyes and open ears to the truth. First of all, the truth of a kingdom of God that is never passing away. To let people know that they can get out of this mess. They can get out of this confusion. And they can walk in newness of life in a new kingdom that's never going to pass away. And we have that message this morning. May we be strong enough and bold enough to give that message. As we render to Caesar, we're going to render everything else to God. And you're going to lead us. We thank you for what you're going to do. And we promise to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. How many are going to come back next week? Amen. That's good. I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week, but it probably won't be this bad. So don't worry. (laughs) Hallelujah. Turn around. Bless one another. Greet one another. Go in his name. Just what you said Though the storms may come